So uh, every year, Christmas time, holiday. Every year, Easter, holiday. What's Christmas the celebration of? But not in our culture, right? It's pretty much a celebration of gift giving and Santa Claus and that sort of thing. So it's secularization has taken that holiday over. Uh, how about Easter? What's that the celebration of? How about the resurrection of Jesus? Not bunnies, not eggs. Our kids hunt eggs. We want them to have fun. So once again, a, a major holiday that's just been taken over by the culture. I've been paying attention to the church calendar for some time. Now, if you pay attention to the church calendar from the Catholic Church, there's a whole lot of celebrations of various saints that, that you may have never heard of. I've never heard of some of them. Um, and it's, uh, it's very, very involved. But uh, uh, I read from five different lectionaries every morning, and they are all giving scripture uh, regularly, uh, just passages of scripture. So you can do these really, really cool um, Bible reading programs from, uh, for instance, YouVersion or the, the Bible app. You go to Bible.com or look up YouVersion on your, uh, in your app store or whatever your, your store is called on your phone, your mobile device. But this is just a good way to keep me in scripture. But one of the, the side benefits is it keeps reminding me of the church calendar. Now, there's an important day that's coming up next Sunday that virtually uh, no church that is not a, a high church, liturgical church, observes. And that is Pentecost, right? Now, Pentecost, I'll talk about a little bit more next week. But uh, it was originally the celebration of first fruits among the Jewish people. But it was the day that the Holy Spirit descended and came upon those first believers and empowered them to go out and share the gospel. So the reason that uh, on Mother's Day, uh, last Sunday, I talked about the Holy Spirit and titled the message, You Need Help, is so that you would understand we're not intended to do this Christian thing on our own. This is a very, very different sort of covenant with God than the Israelites had because it is predicated on the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And again, I'll probably talk about this next week, but one of the interesting coincidences of Pentecost and the coming of the Spirit is that it was also in the Jewish culture later, uh, the Jewish religion, the celebration of the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. Well, the Holy Spirit writes the law on your heart. He writes the law on your conscience. So you know right from wrong. And when you read the word of God and the word of God tells you what Jesus has taught, it agrees with you because that's in you. Now, it doesn't mean you have this, this conscious knowledge, but you really have a, an unconscious sense of right and wrong. Now, we teach our kids this, right? Um, your conscience, by the way, is not um, automatically clean or clear. We have to be properly taught when we're younger, right from wrong. People can be taught evil things. So right now we see uh, another explosion of an ongoing conflict uh, in the land of Israel, and people are lining up, and you've got the Palestinians firing rockets into Israel. You've got the Israelis bombing Palestine in uh, really not necessarily retribution, but in an effort to stop the rockets from flying. But what we find is 
that people raise their children in certain ways. And an example of this, I, re, I read a book some time ago, and I'm going to forget the name of the author, but the, the title of the book is Son of Hamas. And uh, the man who wrote the book was literally the son of one of the founders of Hamas. And he became a believer in Jesus, and he became very friendly to Israel, but he describes how he, from a very early age, was indoctrinated to hate Jews. And to this day, you see that there are those that are on one side of this conflict that are, they're literally raised to hate from the time they're children, to hate those other people. And so many times racism is deeply ingrained in us because we might not be overtly taught, but we catch what's going on around us. And you make these determinations from the time you're very small. Now, I know that that term has been co-opted and, and it's been twisted around. And, and so now it is only applied to one side of this deal. So let me just use the word prejudice. People are prejudicial. And sometimes that's taught from the time you're so young that you can't remember it being taught. Very few of us remember many things before we're about the age of four or five but your personality is entirely formed by the time you're five. Now, that doesn't mean that you are excused from making decisions. In fact, you begin to make decisions and determinations uh, from a very early age as well, and you're responsible for those decisions and those determinations. But this, this prejudicial attitude toward it, it might be a prejudicial attitude toward the police. It might be a prejudicial attitude toward another uh, ethnic group toward another nation and so forth. But that can actually be written on the conscience so that your conscience is misguided. It's telling you the wrong thing. When you come to know Jesus, the Holy Spirit actually indwells you, lives in you, abides in you. And that becomes the law. So you understand naturally, if I can use that term, it's really supernaturally, I guess, but it is natural to you now with this new nature that you've been given to love people, to love all people. Jews need Jesus. Arabs need Jesus. Palestinians need Jesus. Amen? Amen. Everybody needs, a lot of Christians who go to church don't have Jesus. They're just nominal Christians. Everybody needs Jesus. We need to put our focus on Jesus, friends. We really, really do. We preach the gospel. And we let people make, the, make up their own minds, make up their own decisions. I'm not their judge, but I'm uh, going to be uh, compelled to tell them that the judge is standing at the door. That's important. I'm not your judge. I'm not even on the jury. I don't, I don't want to ride over your life and tell you what to do, but I'm compelled to tell you what the Word of God says. So here we are on the Sunday before Pentecost, and I'm going to continue this discussion about the Holy Spirit um, because... Uh, Ascension Day was last Thursday, that is 40 days after Easter, so the, our immediately preceding Thursday was actually officially Ascension Day. That would be the day that in a liturgical church you would celebrate the Ascension of Jesus. We don't even think about that anymore, but we should think about that because Christ not only raised from the dead, but 40 days later he ascended to the right hand of God the Father where he sits until his enemies will be made a footstool for his feet. Amen? where he is your intercessor. He intercedes for you and the Holy Spirit intercedes for you. 
So we've got this very, very interesting and for some people entirely too complex relationship in what we call the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But by the way, if you send your kids to karate, we're teaching them about that as well. Now that doesn't mean that we're trying to get into the depths of Trinitarian theology, but we're trying to help them to understand that God is Father, God is Son, and God is Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. No, you really do. You can't do this without the Holy Spirit. In fact, Romans 8 9 says, without the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to Jesus. Now, um, there is a tendency, I think, to understand that the Holy Spirit sort of belongs properly to the Pentecostal and charismatic traditions. And that's just really not the case. Um, people have a tendency to respond in diverse ways to the presence of the Spirit in their life, but they're responding really in accordance with their own personalities. As I just mentioned earlier, your personality is pretty much formed by the time you're five. I was having a discussion with, uh, with uh, Rachel, the young lady that was singing up here, Craig's wife, uh, about their children. Uh, their youngest son's birthday was today. Uh, was today, like today's over is today. Um, and, and we were talking about, you know, her kids and the differences between them and so forth. And you start noticing those difference from the differences from the time they're born, don't you? I mean, your kids are different. They're different than one another. Rodriguez is your kids are all different than one another. They really are. They come out and you say, well, you know, this one's a little bit like me. This one's a little bit like, you know, dad and so on and so forth. But the reality is we come out with these, these we'll just call it temperaments. You're, you're unique. And with that particular set of tools, you make choices and you become who you become. And ideally, you understand that if you're going to be the person that you were created to be, you need to pay attention to the calling of God who calls you to become more like Jesus. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. We can all be just like Jesus and we'll still be different than one another. Just like all the cells in your body, you have different cells in your body. You have, you have hair cells and blood cells and bone cells and, and, and muscle cells, right? So different kinds of cells. And they're located in all places. But we are collectively called the body of Christ, right? Yes. So you can be like Jesus and 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 I can be like Jesus and we'll still be distinct and unique. So this isn't some effort to make everybody look just alike, dress just alike, and so forth. But what we need to realize is that uh, when we call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, now that's how you get saved, right? Saved from what? Saved from a world that is headed for destruction. And if you haven't figured out that this world is going down faster and faster, you're really not paying attention or you've been deceived by the deceiver. Because we're in trouble, aren't we? We really are. You've got to call on the name of Jesus. You've got to call him Lord. That means you are calling him master over your life, the boss, the one that's in control. And in fact, that word Lord and the, the way that it is used in the Old Testament is also a way of identifying the son with the father because it was a word that was used for God's name. They used the word Adonai to substitute for the Tetragrammaton, which is God's name, which we think was pronounced Yahweh, right? I won't get into that long discussion. But nonetheless, saying Jesus is Lord is saying that he is the ruler over your life, but it is also a way of identifying him with um, God Almighty, with the Father. And so in order to get saved, the scripture says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
right? Who in this room has called on the name of the Lord Jesus to save them? So when you've done that, what should have happened is if you said that and you honestly meant that, you turned your back on your old life and on the world to face Christ and to walk with him. Remember the old hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus? No turning back, no turning back. Great, man, I just can remember uh, they would do that. They would have invitations in my church back in the day. Now we have a kind of version of that. Pastor Craig and I will be down here. We'll invite you to come forward if you wanna pray over anything or if you wanna talk about your relationship with Jesus. But we used to have this formal invitation in this church that I uh, came to faith in, the North Phoenix Baptist Church, Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, I was 16 years old when I finally worked up the courage to walk forward and make public my confession of faith that what? Jesus is Lord. Now, when you do that, you're opening up your heart, you're opening up your mind, you're opening up your conscience, and you are inviting Christ to come in. But how does he do that? In the person of the Holy Spirit. See, it's the Holy Spirit that enters you. It's the Holy Spirit that fills you. It's the Holy Spirit that makes you more and more like Jesus. So when I call on the name of the Lord, I'm inviting him into my life, and it's the Holy Spirit that comes in. Now, in the Pentecostal tradition, they'll, they'll talk about a, 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 you know, a second uh, uh, blessing experience. They'll talk about baptism in the Spirit and so forth. We'll talk a little bit more about what that means, at least from a scriptural pers perspective, next week. But I will say this. In short, this idea of the baptism of the Spirit is simply the Spirit filling you and overflowing. You have the Holy Spirit or you don't have Jesus. Do you understand? Yeah. You have to have the Holy Spirit if you're going to be a Christian. And in our world, as I said last week, I don't know how anybody's getting by without it. So I talked about last week the, the number of young people who were experiencing anxiety was very high. And then I just now read uh, another uh, statement, uh, survey that's been done that, that says that over 50% of young people are experiencing significant anxiety and depression. Yeah. Not if you have Jesus, friend. That doesn't mean you won't go through bouts. We all go through bouts and spells. Amen? That's just the way we are. But if you have the Holy Spirit, he pulls you out of that. We fall and he picks us up. We fall and he picks us up. See, that's the difference between the kind of religion that is based on you keeping rules and the kind of religion that is in fact a relationship with the Almighty God as a real person who really loves you and who really dwells within you. Now, with all of that understood, I think that what we all need to realize is something that the Pentecostals do realize, and that is that we need power. We don't need worldly power. Where does power come from in the world? Well, money uh, motivates people, and so it causes people to have power over other people. Persuasion, uh, people are able to take their charismatic personalities and persuade other people and get them to do what they want to do. Strength, just physical prowess can be power over other people. And in our world, you definitely see politics as power because I'm guaranteeing you both of these parties are doing nothing for you. They're just seizing power, both of them. That's all they're interested in. 
As soon as the current party gained office, immediately a flurry of bills designed to seize power. Now we're talking about adding four Supreme Court justices because they need to control everything. That's just very human, right? You know, it's like the old song from the 80s, Tears for Fears. Everybody wants to rule the world. Come on, it's, you're singing it in the back of your head right now. You know you are. Like, you, you put that earworm in me, Pastor, and now I'm going to be singing that the whole way through. Really, that and Shout are the only two good Tears for Fear songs. I'm sorry. If you listen to certain songs on your, on your uh, uh, if you've got Apple Music like I do, it'll create your radio station. And so it just randomly goes and chooses songs that it thinks you'll like. Well, I guess I'd listened to one of the Tears for Fear songs not too long ago. And so it started putting these other Tears for Fear songs. And I was like, this is horrible. Who's this? Oh, Tears for Fear. Oh, wow. No wonder they only had two good songs because they only had two good songs. Anyway, all that. Everybody does want to rule the world. That's what it is. But you need power, but not worldly power. You don't need political power. I hope you have the money to pay your bills, but that's not the kind of power that you need. You don't need the power over other people to persuade them, to get them to to do your bidding. What you and I need is the power to obtain and achieve the calling that God has for each of us, which is, first of all, to become more like Jesus. But secondly, if you're listening, Sam, listening, you're called to be a witness. You're called to be a what? So you remember through the Easter season, I talked about all of these different witnesses of the ministry and the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. And not all of those witnesses end up uh, doing anything after the resurrection. We see Nicodemus, for example. Jesus talks to him about the fact that he needs to be reborn. Was he ever reborn? Well, he had a degree of loyalty to Jesus. He defended Jesus at one point, and uh, Nicodemus was with Joseph of Arimathea, and actually they were the ones that put Jesus in the tomb. Nicodemus brought burial spices and, and you know, they, they brought a bit, but we never hear anything about Nicodemus after that. And John would have said something about him. We don't hear anything about him. And there are plenty of people in church, they're raised in church, and then they just walk away or they drift away or they angrily turn their backs. There's all sorts of ways that people respond. And I've spoken of that, uh, this, this apostasy that we're seeing in the world today. And what I'm going to say is, this might sound mean, and I'm not trying to sound mean, but when people turn away, don't go chasing them. Pray for them. Be open. Be loving. But don't go chasing them. Because what we're seeing right now is what we need to see. There's a division that's happening that needs to happen because all the fakers are going away. All the people that are just emotionally driven are being emotionally driven in a different direction. You need to let them go. Pray for them. Continue to minister. I'm not saying push them away, but I'm saying you don't need to go chasing those folks. Let them go. They have to go through what they have to go through, right? And what you and I need to concentrate on are the people that are going to be receptive of the gospel. Don't waste your time. So I'm saying we need to be witnesses, but we don't need to run around trying to win arguments all the time with people. And, you know, I stopped having debates online really not too long after the last election because I just saw people just want you to validate what they already think. There's not a whole lot of people that are interested in facts. It's one of these, don't confuse me with the facts, I got my mind made up, that sort of a deal, right? 
Now, I know there are people that are kind of watching in the wings and they're paying attention there. Um, but I've just come to see that social media is simply not the best way to have a healthy debate because people just want to air their opinions. That's all they want to do. So what you and I need to do is we need to look for real relationships with people. If somebody wants to have a discussion with you online, say, no, why don't you meet me, you know, for coffee over here down the, down the, the road over here at the coffee shop in downtown. Or, you know, why don't you come to church with me and we'll go out and eat afterwards and have a discussion. Because what I found is people that can be so incredibly hostile online are actually not bad to talk to when you just sit down and talk to them. You, you can hold, you know, opposite opinions. And it's, you know, it's at least as far as my experience has been, uh, you know, people aren't going to just start beating you to death and tongue lashing you like they do online. I don't know what it is, but some people turn into monsters when they're behind the wheel of their car. <laughs> Nicest people in the world. And you're like, what happened to you? And some people turn into literal demons online. It's like, who is this? I don't even know this. I've, these are people that I've known for years. And suddenly I say something or post something that they don't like and they're disrespectful. I'm like, what? Right? So what I'm saying is we're called to witness, but we don't have the power to convict anyone of sin. Back up and hear that again. You're called to witness. Say, I'm called to witness. But you don't have the power to convict anyone of sin. That's the Holy Spirit's job. He's the one that proves, as, as uh, last week I, I quoted this passage, but this week I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at it uh, more carefully. Um, from John chapter 16, we have this passage of scripture. Actually, I didn't mark it. We'll just go back a couple here. This is an old school Bible. I don't have to have a refresh on it or anything. You just turn the page. Isn't that cool? <laughs> the Lord Jesus says, but now I am going to him who sent me and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you but if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, who's the helper? Holy, Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit then, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That's John 16, 8. Convict. That means he will prove it. See, people are looking for proof, but oftentimes you can offer them logical proof. You can offer them evidence and they're still not persuaded. I'm amazed. And I could give examples right now, but I won't because it'll make some of you mad. Um, but in any event, so, so why do we require the Holy Spirit to do this? Because he says, um, and he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Fundamentally, sin is unbelief. Sin is what? That's where it all starts. It's an unwillingness to put your firm faith in Almighty God. So Jesus said, they don't believe in me, so the Holy Spirit is going to convict them. You can't win anybody. See, I know how to do the, the preacherly tricks. I was taught. Right? I know how to get people to make a decision, but it doesn't stick. I've seen this for years. We used to do this 
immense, massive production every Halloween called House of Judgment. Thousands upon thousands of people came through this thing. In fact, I calculated it one time, and over the period of time that we did House of Judgment, from 1988 until 2006, well over 100,000 people came through House of Judgment. Of those, well over 10,000 people marked on a card that they prayed with us to receive Christ. But yet, what we would do on a number of years is we would try to follow up. We would try to call some of those people back and invite them to church. And a very, very minuscule number of people wanted to come to church. You see, everybody wants to go to heaven, but very few people want to follow Jesus. But there's a reason that Jesus said the road is narrow that leads to life. You got to follow Jesus. Now you follow him by faith. And I'm not here to put anybody in hell or judge anybody, as I've said earlier, but there's, you don't have any guarantee. If your feelings are telling you you're going to heaven and you're not following Jesus, I would say you need to back up and get back into the word. Because faith will lead me to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, to become more like Jesus. Because God's whole goal with you right now is to get you ready for heaven. And the way he's going to do that is to make you more like Jesus. So if you're just living like you want to live and doing what you want to do, you're kind of like uh, Jesus told a parable of the wedding feast one time. He said there was a there was a, you know, a man that was holding a, a wedding feast. And by the way, weddings in the Middle East, huge, huge affairs, okay? Back in Jesus' day, multi-day affairs. Major, major deal. Now, some of you, your wedding was a big deal too. Uh, some of you not. And, you know, it's, yeah, that's just a difference in culture. But they had these, these huge affairs. So in this parable, the story that Jesus told, he said that all of these people that were invited turned the invitation down by saying, oh, no, no, I'm too busy. I, you know, I've got this to do. I've got that to do. Uh, I've got to feel like I need to go check on. I, you know, I've got all these things. And so there wasn't going to be anybody at his son's wedding. So he sent all of his servants out and he said, just go out into the highways and the byways and the hedges and compel anyone who will come to come in. That's what we do with the gospel. We compel anyone who will come in to come in. And so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But there was, this is Jesus' parable, same parable. But there was one guest who was there who was not wearing proper attire. He wasn't respecting where he was and what he was. He wasn't wearing a wedding garment. So uh, the father, the, the master of the affair said, uh, where's your wedding garment? And, oh, well. and so he kicked him out. And Jesus, and in the, in the end, Jesus said, and so it will be at the end. Many are called, but few are chosen. So we need to compel everybody to come in. But you need to understand something. You don't come in and do it your way. That's what people want. That's, some people have this impression of salvation that it means that I come to Jesus and he blesses me and I just live my life my way. You are so wrong. The Holy Spirit is going to convict you of sin, of your willingness to believe in yourself. I just see this. It's an infection. It's a virus in our, in our culture, far worse than the pandemic that we are going through and overcoming now. And it's this virus of self-love and self-centeredness. Oh, I just need to believe in myself. I just need to love my... No, you don't. You need to believe in Jesus. Hello. 
You need to believe in Jesus. You need to believe in Jesus, not yourself. When I look to Jesus and I see how much he loves me and how much he believes in me, I'm good. I'm secure. I'm confident. I can boldly go out and do stuff that I will never be able to do with a bunch of self-righteous, self-centered, sanctimonious self-love. Friends, it's a lie. Nobody's paying attention. Jesus said a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. See, now there's a new standard. Nobody, even people that are up all into self-love, nobody loves themselves perfectly or properly. Jesus said, no, that's the, that's the old standard, love your neighbor as yourself. That was in the law. That's the old standard. The standard was you naturally take care of yourself. This, this idea of love that Jesus is speaking of is not uh, some sort of affection for yourself. It's you take care of yourself. Do you eat? Some of you are like, yeah, a lot. <laughs> I mean, do you take a shower? Do you take care of yourself? Do you protect yourself from harm? Again, people don't do this perfectly. You got people that seek to harm themselves and so forth, and there's something that's broken there. And see, either way, it doesn't matter. This new standard works. Jesus said the new commandment, the new commandment is not love. The new commandment is the standard for love, which is Jesus. You've got to know Jesus or you don't know who you are. You want to know why there's so much confusion about identity, gender, and all these other things? People don't know Jesus. You need to know Jesus. Amen? Amen. And when you know Jesus and you look full into his wonderful face, the things of earth will go strangely dim in the power of his glory and grace. We look too much to the world to fulfill us. It's going to let you down again and again and again and again but Jesus will never let you down. Yeah. Amen? Amen? So the Holy Spirit comes to convict. So if you feel that, I'll just use that term. If you feel that today, that's the Holy Spirit. That's not the power of my personality. I'm not that funny and I'm not that persuasive, all right? He says he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will no longer see me. Jesus is the standard for righteousness, amen? Not some book on critical theory that you read. Uh-oh. Not even the Ten Commandments. Jesus is the standard. We need to come back to Jesus. Jesus is no longer central even in his own church. He's not central at Christmas. He's not central at Easter. Nobody knows about Pentecost. He's not central in his church anymore. You see some of the biggest churches with the hugest congregations and you don't hear the word Jesus in a sermon. You don't see Jesus being preached. What you see are stories being told to make people feel good about themselves. I don't see how that's any different than these uh, atheist churches, if you want to call them that, that have sprung up. It's just a place for people to gather and everybody feel good about them. So that's not the church, friend. The church is the body of Christ. That's us. So Jesus says, I'm not going to be with you anymore. So as the result, it's the Holy Spirit that's going to convict you of righteousness. He's going to bring me into you and show you the standard. Anybody in the room old enough to remember the WWJD bracelets? Yeah, remember those? And then worldly, that's, it's, what does WWJD stand for? 
And then these worldly people came along and said, no, it's wine, women, and Jack Daniels. Okay. Everybody's got to live some way, I suppose. You see some, somebody in a bar wearing a WWJD bracelet, it might not mean the same thing. But see, when you have Jesus living in you by the power of the Spirit, you don't need to have a bracelet and go, what would Jesus do right now? Hmm, I don't know. Are you ready for this? You know. You know. If you'll clear away all of the clutter from the culture and just center down on the presence of the Spirit and what He's taught you in the Word of God, you do know right from wrong. You know what you're supposed to do. Now do it. Jesus said, you know these things, but you'll be blessed what? Yeah, not if you know them. Jesus didn't say you'll be blessed if you know these things. He said, you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. See, Satan is the father of lies. And that's what he's doing in our culture right now. So what does culture mean? Why do we keep using this term culture? It's just the collective values of a society or of a group of people. And the culture has become anti-Christian. We once had a Christian-oriented culture, not perfectly certainly, but a Christian orientation that was there. And so you could have somebody like a Martin Luther King Jr. who came along and suffered to show that people needed to have equal rights, and many people's consciences were significantly moved by that. I heard someone uh, or read someone mention recently that MLK's method wouldn't work today because people don't have that kind of conscience anymore. See, you have to have that conscience that can be afflicted with something that's righteous. And so what we have is the Holy Spirit convicting you that you are pursuing lies and the father of lies when you are disbelieving in Jesus, when you are pursuing these other ideas and ideals in the world. So that's what the Holy Spirit does. Now, I don't have time to get into it. I guess I'm just going to wrap it into next week. Um, But the Holy Spirit will come to bring power to clothe you with power. So everything I've said last week and this week is about the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit speaking to your spirit, speaking to your mind, speaking to your conscience. You have to have this. It's not optional. But see, more than that, if I'm going to be this witness that I've been called to be, now I said that, but but where's the validation for that? Well, one of the last things that Jesus said, uh, in fact, really probably the very last thing that he said is found in Acts 1, verse 8. And he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will receive what? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the remotest parts of the earth. And you know what? This cowardly group of disciples you know, I've been, I've been interested to watch how we've all responded to the pandemic because it's real. And people are getting sick and people are dying, but it's nothing compared to what people in other time periods have gone through. And we're so scared. 
the Holy Spirit makes you bold. So getting crucified is no joke. I won't get into that. We talk about that on Good Friday. We talk about that around Easter, but it's no joke. It was designed as a a way for the Romans to say, don't you dare cross the Roman Empire. Or we're not just going to kill you. We're going to kill you in a way that you can't even imagine how painful it is. That's the death Jesus died. In fact, as I've said before in this very room, our English word excruciating, say excruciating. Do you hear the word crucify in there? Right? It's Latin, ex, in Greek, ek, out of, out of, cruciato, the cross. Excruciating pain is the pain of the cross. That's what Jesus endured. They were scared. They'd run off from Jesus because they didn't want to be crucified. And they were all huddled and gathered in a room and Jesus appears to them. And we talked about this right around Easter. But they're still pretty much scared. And very briefly, uh, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus has promised that once the Holy Spirit has come upon them, they'll receive power, but they don't have that yet. So they're still kind of hiding. They're afraid of the Roman Empire. And so what do they do? They have a business meeting. No joke. They said, okay, Judas left his his responsibility as one of the 12. So now we got to pick somebody else to take Judas's uh, spot. And so they nominated a bunch of people and then they cast lots and it fell on this guy, uh, Matthias. Like, okay, he's the next one, except you never hear anything about him in Acts beyond that. You know who you do hear about? The Apostle Paul. That's the one Jesus appeared to and picked. That's the 12th one. It rarely goes the way we want. So we have a business meeting and we're going to vote on it, right? But that's human. That's what they did without the Spirit. That's what we do. We gather and we make decisions and we do all of these things, but we don't go out into the world and preach the gospel, which is what we're called to do, by the way. Another one of the last things Jesus said is found in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. He said, as you go into all the world, he assumed you're going to go into the world. As you go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I've taught you. That's what we're called to do. But we're too scared to do that, or we're too caught up in our own business to do that. But see that as you go, uh, the preacher that was... uh, responsible for for bringing the gospel to me, used to say, this is the everyday traffic patterns of your life. As you go, where you go, preach the gospel. As you go, preach the gospel. Amen? But you don't do that alone. You do it with the Spirit. So in Matthew's gospel, the last thing Jesus said, and I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. And then here, uh, the passage I'm referring to in Acts 1-8, he says the Holy Spirit will come upon you. So they wait. They're they're told, in fact, uh, when Jesus appeared to them, this is in uh, Luke 24, Luke who wrote both Acts and Luke. In Luke 24, he said, I want you to remain in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. See, that's what we need. We need that power to go out and share the gospel. So next week, we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at what happened, where this cowardly group, this group that was focused on themselves and the mundane, was suddenly turned outward and became bold, and all of them were willing to die for their faith. In fact, all of them did. The only one of the 12 who did not die a martyr's death was the Apostle John, and he suffered remarkably. He was exiled on the island of Patmos. That's why we have 
uh, the book of Revelation. And that was no joke. That wasn't easy. He may have been, it may have been kind of like a work camp. So those early followers of Jesus were willing to do what Jesus said, deny themselves, take up their cross and follow him. Are you willing to do that? You won't be alone. Amen. Amen. And so what I hope is that as we enter into this final time of, uh, of worship, that you will simply open yourself up. If you've Call on Jesus to be Lord. The Holy Spirit's there. Ask him to fill you up. Ask him to overflow you. Ask him to give you the power to live your daily life. And then we're going to talk more next week about what it means to be this kind of witness that we've been called to be under the